Okay, let's go back to Luke chapter number one. Luke and chapter number one. Let's stand in honor of God's word here tonight. I know we were there on Sunday night. And, uh, you know, obviously here being the, this season, there's, there's so many angles to the account of Jesus and his birth. And, and so it's not like we've exhausted that, you know, even just taking several weeks and doing so. And so, you know, knowing that our minds are kind of geared that way right now. And, and uh, then also, you know, the songs. I mean, obviously, I mean, all those tonight, Christmas songs and uh, hymns, beautiful. Uh, you know, the, the first one that we sang, Beautiful Star of Bethlehem, you can even get a little bit of nasal going on that one, you know, and a little bluegrass sound going with it. And it makes it even better. From the heart through the nose. Come on now. That's, that's real singing right there. So, amen. Yep. I knew I'd get an amen right there from Brother Garth. So, uh, but, uh, you know, great, great songs, you know, the faith about our Lord's coming. And so that's fantastic. And so just kind of keeping that going, preaching even, uh, God willing, even on uh, Sunday morning and night out of Luke chapter one. And, um, and so tonight we're going back, we're, we're revisiting some of these verses. So we're putting it on pause from our first John. I've really enjoyed studying first John and we're, we're right here at the Antichrist. I thought, what better message uh, than about Christmas than to preach on the Antichrist, right? I mean, it just would fit. No, it really uh, wasn't quite a fit that way. And so I, just, I had something on my heart and mind that I couldn't quite get away from, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. So let's go back. Let's read here in Luke chapter 1. And, um, but I do look forward to getting back to 1 John. Uh, John said that Antichrist you know, is coming, but there are many Antichrists at work now. And we need to understand what he was talking about. And it's, it's very helpful. I'm, I am looking forward to studying that further and then also getting into it and preaching. Okay, um, so again, Luke 1 and verse number 5, as we read and, and did a little bit of preaching out of it, none of this is going to be expository like we normally would, where we're just kind of going verse by verse and explaining uh, this passage in its context entirely. Tonight's certainly going to be a lot more topical than what I'm used to. And, um, but I, I hope and pray it'll be a help to you here tonight. So Luke 1, 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And I, I love verse 6, just couldn't get away from it. And they were both righteous before God walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. What a testimony for this husband and wife team that were up in age and, and yet not able to have children until God intervened. And, and we, uh, we know that John the Baptist was, was their son. All right, let me direct your attention to verse 15. And in particular, I'm going to be looking tonight at 16 and 17. We, we, uh, we touched it. We touched it. Uh, if I could just say it that way on... Sunday night didn't really deal with it. So 15 says, for he shall be great, talking about John the Baptist. And our Lord said that he was uh, greatest among, among men uh, that were born. And he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And verse 16 says, and many of the children of Israel, he shall turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. And then notice this. So he's going to turn 
Notice the same verb is used. He's going to turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And then it says in verse 17, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Everybody see that? So he's turning Israel to God. And, he, and really as a result of that then, it turns the hearts of the fathers to the children. And, and it goes on. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Another word for just would be righteous. Those that are right with God, the just. And the dis- so it's going to turn, he's going to turn in the spirit of God's power. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And it's going to turn that one verb is working for both. And it's going to, he's going to turn his message, his ministry. is going to turn the disobedient. Um, literally, it's those uh, that won't be persuaded. Um, but when God intervenes, he can persuade them through his word. So the disobedient then are turned to the wisdom, the way of thinking, the wisdom of the just, of the righteous, of the just. And here's what all that does. If you're still following along, the latter part of verse 17 says to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is uh, this could be part of the series "Love God's Way," our theme series, kind of winding down on on that. Um, uh, as far as our emphasis on that, not that we're going to stop loving God's way. It's not uh, what we're looking at, but just the series, this thing, the theme itself. And so tonight, um, just another message on the home, another message on the family. Um, and I'm calling it this, love God's way in the family. Love God's way in the family. I haven't really emphasized loving God's way as much in the family. It's been more about the church family, loving people. And so I'd like to just clear off the spot here one more time before we move on and talk about the family, talk about the home. And uh, trust it will be a help to you in some very particular ways. All right. So may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> Give you just a little bit of background here to why we would take Sunday night and what necessarily that I was really just planning it this way. Had really thought about working in First John, but our um, staff planner was uh, pretty much all day yesterday. We take time to look ahead at you know the calendar year, but but a lot of it is just um, as uh, the pastoral staff just sitting down and and just kind of looking back on uh, God's blessings. Well, what what I noticed is that as each of the men, we went around the table and, and just um, kind of gave our reflection on the year, um, starting with Brother Ted and just kind of working around. Uh, every man to the man started with their family and then the ministry, okay? Which really, that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, family and ministry. Th- those two, by the way, they don't compete against each other. They complete uh, so I, it was really refreshing. So we heard a lot about grandkids yesterday. Grandkids. Uh, we heard about some grandkids coming two at a time. Uh, we had that going on. We heard about kids growing up. We heard about kids trusting Christ as their Savior is a blessing. We heard about young adults um, that in my mind and heart still ought to be kids, but now they're young adults. 
Some of those are own, but uh, young adults making big time decisions. We talked about young adults getting married. We talked about kids coming into a family by adoption. It was precious. Just talking about the family. On the way home, I uh, started to listen to this uh, audio book. It's called Love and Respect in the Family. I don't, we don't have it in our bookstore, but if you're looking for something to read on the family, I'd highly recommend it. I um, started listening to it as I was driving down to preach a family conference. And just I try to read a book on marriage and try to read a book on, on parenting every year. Um, I haven't done that every year, but I need to every year. Anybody else testify right there? And, and just, um, just the need to keep growing in this vital area. And so anyways, uh, all that kind of coming together and then what we considered Sunday night has made me think a lot about the home and about the family. And, and so I trust nobody here would begrudge that. In fact, I think you'd say, preacher, look, quit messing around and just preach. Amen. Just quit messing around and preach the word and, and help us. Cause I think if we're all honest, we'd say, man, we need help as parts of families, wherever you are in the family, you're somebody's son or you're somebody's daughter, right? You may not still be at home, but you're got that much figured out, right? You're somebody's son, you're somebody's daughter. Uh, many of you are parents, you have kids in the home. Uh, many of you have grandkids and a lot of you have great grandkids. Um, there's a lot here that have maybe a messed up home, a dysfunctional family. By the way, all families are dysfunctional. All families are messed up. You know why? Because we're all sinners. But I get it. I understand there's some that, man, it's just a tragic situation. I've met with some here not, not too long ago and some of the family situation, even an individual today just uh, grew up without a dad. Hey, listen, uh, if you got a dad in the home, you ought to thank God for him. Yeah. A lot of difficult situations. I'm glad that, that even in those circumstances, that God can take either other family members. But I'll tell you another thing I think that God does in his providential care of us is that if that's your, if that's your life situation, God can take you and put you in a church family and give you uh, aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters and moms and dads. And in fact, that, that's actually scriptural because Jesus said, you know, if, if uh, you followed him and that has cost you, you know, in his day and time, it costed them a lot of times the relationship they had with their family then he also said, listen, you'll, you'll gain, even in this life, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. And so, I mean, that's not my words. That's not my idea. That's what Jesus said. And by the way, what a blessing we get to be a part of a church family. Church family. God was wise in knowing what he did to put us in a church family. Well, I, uh, in, in a particular chapter that I listened to on the way home, I mean, it really got my attention and it's not my intent. This, in some ways I struggled with because I, I don't, I want to preach the book. By the way, any truth or help you find in another book, if it's truly true, if, truly true. If it's true and it's a help, it was first of all in this book. Okay. And so anyways, uh, I have been helped through the years by a book on marriage called Love and Respect. Uh, many of you have, have read Love and Respect. How many of you have? You've read Love and Respect. Okay, that's a good number. How many of you say, I got it down? Don't need to read it again. Don't just got, I mean, it's just like there, boom. No, I don't see any hands going back up. Love and Respect. I've never dealt with an issue in my marriage that's not a Love and Respect issue. I haven't dealt with an issue in anybody else's marriage that's not a Love and Respect issue. So Love and Respect, I think is, I mean, actually Emerson Egridge wrote the book Love and Respect, but he got it out of Ephesians 5. 
and he sold a lot of copies of it, but God got the, God is the one that's the author of it. Because God said, see that the wife, the husband loved the wife, and the wife see that she reverences her husband. What is that? That's love and respect. He talks about three cycles. Uh, some of you uh, are not married, and so this is good premarital counseling. All right? You say, I'm nine years old. You need it right now. You need it right now. Guarantee it. Get this in your heart and soul. There is a crazy cycle that you can go on in a marriage. And it sounds like this. If you think about, you know, just a diagram, if you can sit here without love, without his love, she responds or reacts without respect. Without respect, he responds without love. It's crazy. It is crazy. Without love, she responds without respect. Everybody getting this? Yep. Without love, she responds without respect. Without respect, he responds without love. And that is the crazy cycle. But then there's also the energizing cycle that with love, she responds with respect. With respect, he responds with love. And man, that's energizing because she feels close. She feels like he's open. I'm using the acronym that he does, couple. I've tried to memorize these, trying to live these. I'm not getting them all right. Still working at it. There's tests every day. Being close, being open, being understanding, being peacemaking, being loyal and esteeming your wife, she'll feel loved. He uses the acronym CHAIRS because the husband wants to be the chairman of the relationship. And so he feels respected when, when, um, when she, he feels respected when she respects his desire to conquer. That's letter C. Conquer what? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Just whatever game it is, whatever game he's hunting, whatever, whatever job it is. I mean, he, he feels respected when she is appreciating his desire to conquer. And then letter H is hierarchy. Letter A is um, authority. Uh, Angie forgot that when, when she was uh, doing the ladies uh, part of a marriage retreat here just recently. They gave her a hard time about that, but I, I'm glad that they reminded her about it. Authority. <laughs> Letter I is inside. A husband feels respected when the wife says, you know, I really appreciate, uh, you know, that, that insight that you're giving. And, and the husbands, we've got to understand, sometimes they just want to talk it out. And that is part of solving the problem. Just talking it out. We just can't discern the difference. And so Sometimes we give an answer, we give a response. And when a wife says, you know, I really do appreciate that. But when a wife says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life, then he doesn't feel respected. Is this making sense? I is inside. R is relationship. He feels respected when there's a shoulder to shoulder relationship. S is sexuality. And he feels respected when that's a part of the relationship. So it's really been helpful. It's like a tool that with love, she responds with respect. With respect, she responds with love. It works. But here's the challenging one. The rewarded cycle. Watch this. His love, regardless of her respect. How about this one? Her respect, regardless of his love. Man, it got quiet up in here. Well, we all understand that, you know, uh, love is to be unconditional, but so is respect. You say, well, I'll give him respect when he, when he earns it so he can give you love when you earn it. See, it, it doesn't really work that way, does it? Okay. Um, so anyways, that's the rewarded cycle. And how many in here tonight would agree that takes the help of the Holy Spirit of God to show love when there's not respect or to show respect 
even when there's not a display of love. Wow. Well, we could probably preach that and get a little while, and I guess we did. So then what they do is they take that same exact principle, watch this, and they apply that to family life. Parents' love encourages or motivates the respect of the children. Watch this, young people. Your respect encourages or motivates their love. God said to children, honor thy father and thy mother. You know what that is? It's respect. It's respect. They mentioned in the book that there's no place in the Bible that tells children to love their parents. I thought, wait a minute, there's got to be a place. So I did a search. My Bible works. There's got to be a place where children and love go together towards parents. There's not. There's not. It's probably built in this natural. Kids love parents, right? But respect doesn't always come natural. So there's a command to love, love, to honor your parents. But then there are passages of scripture that talk about how that the parents are to love their kids. Look, God has this all figured out. Should we be surprised? God has all this figured out that parents, parents want to feel, be respected. Children, young people want to be loved. It's a dynamic. But sometimes there is what they refer to as well. Everybody still with me right here? The family crazy cycle. Without love, kids respond without respect. Without respect, parents can respond without love. And sometimes we live at the intersection of wit's end and stress avenue within a family. When you could be living at the corner of love and respect. So you got to ch- take your choice today, tonight. You want to live at the corner of wit's end and, and uh, stress avenue, which is a dead end street. Or at the intersection of love and respect. I love, uh, I love chapter one's title. Can, can you listen to this here just a second? Here's the title to chapter one in that particular book. All right, now the whole message is not about the book. Please don't get worried. If it were, you'd still benefit. Uh, but I, I'm getting to something that they pointed out here that, that was really, really helpful. Here's chapter one's title. If kids would only cooperate, we would all be great parents. <laughs> what do you think? If kids would only cooperate, we would all be great parents. They were at the uh, at the very end of their great, wonderful vacation, they had two hours left in driving. Sometimes the worst part of the trip is the last two hours. Am I right about that? You know, they say that, um, uh, you know, most accidents happen, you know, within what, five miles of your home? Carl Hurley, uh, he said that that's why we moved. So, I mean, there was a ruckus going on in the back seat, you know, between Jonathan, David and Joy, Jonathan 10, David 8 and Joy 4. I mean, they were squabbling. And so they had to pull over. And, and so they're at that, uh, the rest area and uh, at, at the picnic table. And so the fight that was in the car took place at the picnic table as well. And decibel levels were getting high. And mom says, I just want to quit. And she moved and went to another table. Sarah did. She looked across the way and saw some bikers on their Harleys and uh, jean vests with cut off sleeves, of course, and tattoos. And they revved up and rode off. And she thought, man, it sure would be nice just to, kind of, 
just to kind of get on that bike and ride away from all the burdens of parenting. Emerson came over and was talking to her, could see the hurt on her face and wanted to kind of lighten up the moment by saying something like this. Don't you dare leave by yourself. You take me with you. But here's what she said. She said, it's just not working. I feel like a failure. Probably every parent in here has felt like a failure. Maybe when you've dropped your kid off at the nursery and they're crying bloody murder, you're thinking, man, what kind of a parent am I, right? Um, I mean, all kinds of life situations can make you feel like a failure. Just like they gave that acronym. We doing all right? Just like they gave that acronym, couple and chairs. They have this acronym for parenting God's way. It's really helpful. I stopped and thought about it the last few days. Still learning. Um, It's this word, guides. Guides. G-U-I-D-E-S. G stands for give. Not too little, not too much. Give. Give. Uh, monetarily give so that a child's basic needs are met. But again, not too much to where they're spoiled. Give. Letter U is understand. By the way, they've got a chapter on each of these. I am just hitting the surface of it. Letter U is understand. Try to understand where your kids are coming from. I is instruct so that your child can know and apply God's wisdom. Again, instruct not too much, but not too little. Letter D is discipline so that your kid, your child can correct poor choices. And I love what they gave under this matter of discipline. And this is the way God really, by the way, what what I'm talking about tonight is just right out of the Bible, really. It's just this. We need to love our kids the way that God loves us. That's it. Confronting, correcting, comforting. Correcting, I'm sorry, confronting, correcting, comforting. Letter D is discipline. E is encourage. Kids need to be encouraged. Need to be encouraged. Every now and then it's good to say, hey, you're doing a great job. Appreciate your hard work. Encourage, lest they lose heart. Letter S is supplicate. And that means in prayer, praying for them. And I like how that they put it this way. It said, uh, pray with confidence that God listens to us and speaks to them. God listens to us and speaks to them. You know, um, in marriage, it's easy to show love when your wife is showing respect. It's easy. That comes pretty natural. I thought about it. I opened up my drawer in my, in the, at the desk where I work in the study, and I've kept a bunch of little sticky notes my wife, a little yellow. I mean, there's cards and there's letters, but I kept the little sticky notes right there. And they sang things like this, XO, XO, so glad you're home. Love and prayers, your wife. Another one said, love you. And it might've had lipstick on it. Muchas smooches. <laughs> and then another one said, Angie Gaddis loves you. Yeah, man. Well, hey, hey. It's easy to show love when I'm getting little post-it notes like that. Right? Yeah. It's easy to show love to your kids. I've got several post-it notes. I don't know that they even know that I kept these, but from the boys through the years. Glad to have you as a dad. Love you. 
Can't wait to go fishing. Best 42 year old in the world. Love you. <laughs> it's a few years ago now. And then I like this one. The best deer I ever saw was a dead deer. <laughs> That'll bless your heart right there if you let it. <laughs> Proverbs 4 wrote out. One of the boys wrote out Proverbs 4, 23, you know, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And then made this note, as you work with diligence, I'll be praying for you. Have a blessed day. Man, it's easy to show love when they're showing that kind of respect. Parents, it's tough whenever you've had to make a hard decision and they don't like it. Maybe they respond in a certain way. That's when it gets tough, right? And thus there's the crazy cycle. There's the energizing cycle, but then even in parenting and also in being a young person, being a, uh, a child or a young person, there is also this, the family rewarded cycle. Your love as a parent, watch this, regardless of their respect. Young people and even adult children alike, your respect regardless of their love. That's when it's tough. I want to give you three principles here tonight, totally different than what we normally do. I feel more like this is almost a Sunday school lesson and it's in my heart and mind to preach. Maybe it'll turn into preaching, but I just really want to try to help here tonight. Number one, your family, your family life. I try to write this out carefully. I hope you'll take it in. Number one, your family life is more about your relationship with Christ than it is about your relationship with your family. Do you think about that? Your family life is actually much more about your relationship with Christ than it is about your relationship with your family. Now, th this, is, this is coming right out of the text that we're going to look at here for just a, a few moments. But I, I was helped by thinking about this, that your parenting, parents, your parenting is much more about your relationship with Christ than it is about your relationship with your kids. Kids. So if parenting is that, then... then um, your interaction with your parents, um, parenting on their part. What do you say on their part? Childing, young adulting. Those are not real verbs. Your interaction with your parents is really much more. Listen to me real careful right here. Your role, your interaction with your parents is really much more about your relationship with Christ than it is about your relationship with your parents. Look again at verse 16 and 17 in our text of Luke 1. As John the Baptist would preach and carry on ministry, then he would turn many to the Lord. The word turn there is interesting. It means this, a change of attitude. A change of attitude in a positive and acceptable direction. It means this, to make a well-disposed, uh, to make well-disposed toward. To make well-disposed toward. In other words, to have a favorable, a favorable response to Whatever entity where you didn't have a favorable response to make friendly towards. So when the, when the Baptist preacher would preach, he would point out their sin. In fact, in Luke chapter three, uh, the soldiers were cut to the heart. Uh, others that were there, they were cut to the heart and said, what shall we do? Well, what happened then is they repented and they got things right with God. And thus they had a, relate, a right relationship with God. Listen, listen, I know that we emphasize this often, but it's got to start right there. This is, that, this is that vertical relationship. And if, if this relationship horizontally is not right, every single time there's something wrong right here. 
So when John the Baptist would come, he would preach and things would get right here. But watch this. It didn't end there. It actually went here. So it went here first. So he would turn the people of Israel to the Lord and he would also turn them, verse 17, he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Or you could say the hearts of the mothers. I mean, it's the parents, fathers standing for both. And so it would be the turning the hearts of the parents to the kids. Wait, if, wait, wait a minute, hang on just a minute. If you turn your heart towards somebody, what is that? Well, I submit to you tonight that it is love. So whenever things are right here, then parents have a right relationship here and they love their kids. And he says, another result of the preaching and the application of God's word is that it would turn the disobedient to the way of wisdom, turn the uncompliant, the rebellious. It would turn the, uh, those that are un, um, or that are not persuaded, they would turn the disobedient to the wisdom. The word wisdom means a way of thinking. It's a mindset. So it turned their thinking towards the way that is right or the way of the righteous, the, the wisdom of the just as it is here. So watch this. As you and I are in church every single Wednesday and Sunday morning, Sunday night and Sunday school and daily in the word, what that's doing is it's giving us heart for people that we wouldn't have apart from God. And it's causing us to think in a certain way that we wouldn't on our own because God has given us his thoughts about life rather than just our own thoughts about life. And that's what John the Baptist would do. So if there's a right relationship with God, then there'd be a right relationship within a family. If a, if a parent is, is being negligent towards a child or a parent is being abusive towards a child or uh, which all is sinful behavior, if a, if a parent is talking down to or a parent is saying you're never going to amount to anything or, or saying nobody will ever love you, no one will care about you. Listen, all that is totally wrong, but I'll tell you where the first wrong is. It's right here with the parent. But when... When a dad gets things right with God, you ever heard that old gospel song, that, that Southern gospel song about, you know, we don't live here anymore. You know, that, that daddy that came home and is, he's a changed man. I don't remember all the words to it right now, but I think you understand what I'm talking about. Some of you do at least, and I'll, I'll just move on from that. But, but when there's a right relationship here, I'm telling you, it changes things right here. There's a desire. There's a desire even if a dad has been wrong and, or even if a mom has been wrong, when they get things right with God, then there is a desire to make things right with their sons and daughters, even years later. And it would also bear the other way or go the other way that if a young person or an adult here tonight, if you have things right with the Lord, then you want things to be right with your parents. Some of your parents maybe have passed on and there's not much you can do there. I understand that and you can talk to God about that. But if your parents are still living, there's still an opportunity for you to make things right and be at peace with one another. We're talking about loving God's way. Number two. So number one, your relationship, your relationship with your family is really more about your relationship with Christ than it is even about your family. And so work on the relationship with Christ and then that will help your relationship with your family. All right, number two, you need to find your identity in Christ. I'm, I'm speaking to the parents right here, okay? You need to find your identity in Christ, not in your children. You need to find your identity in Christ, 
not in your children. We uh, tend to be all about performance in our society. And, um, you know, if you base your identity in your children and they're doing great, you're doing great. But what if they're not doing great? Then you're not doing great. Um, they said this, I, I'm, I am quoting Eggridge right here. If we allowed our kids unruliness and irresponsibility and sinfulness to define our true identity, our sense of worth fluctuates with their behavior. Our sense of peace is dependent on them. And we would allow their opinion about us to determine how we view ourselves rather than listening to what God says. You have a young child that says, you're the worst parent in the world. Uh, listen, you need to remember your identity is in Christ and not in what that child says. And I, I realize, I mean, this is a, a sensitive subject because, you know, there are people here that, um, and, and I'm hoping this will be a real relief. I, I alluded to it on Sunday night, but didn't really just park there. Um, but there are people, God's people across this land that feel defeated because of the way that their kids behave. Got wayward kids. Some of you in here tonight wish your adult children were in church. Got some that, man. And I, I imagine every one of us as parents, I mean, let's just be honest tonight. You look back and think, man, I wish I'd done this differently. I wish I'd spent more time here. I wish I'd done that. I'll never forget one time I, I really felt like this was right after the transition. I felt like I was neglecting Trevor in particular. He was um, about four years old, I think, when all that uh, transpired, 2010. You'd be about four. Yeah, somewhere right in there. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, four years old. And man, life got busy here. As you might imagine, it was already busy. It got busier. And man, I felt like I was just neglecting him. And so I took him on a preaching trip up to uh, Council Bluffs or something in Kansas, some kind of council, something, Council Grove. And on the way up there, I'll never forget, I mean, we had a blast. And I just asked him, Trevor, do you feel like I've neglected you? And he took a bite of whatever snack it was. He said, nah. <laughs> All right. Well, good. <laughs> Thank God God gives kids a short-term memory. <laughs> Maybe not a total awareness of all that's going on, right? I've had to be careful about that. I've had to ask each of them, forgive me, I got busy. I've had to ask each of that. I've gotten busy here. Hey, we all can do that, right? right. Yeah. I, I realize as parents, um, we have to evaluate ourselves. If you've got young people making wrong decisions, the natural thing that we think is, what did we do wrong? Is that right? What did you do wrong? What did we do wrong? Sometimes even as church members, maybe we know about you know, a family that has a young person that's out of church. And in our minds, we can think, wonder what they did wrong. Oh, and we can be quick to judge. Uh, you know what? You better just hold on. Just hold on right there. Uh, we tend to bring our identity to our parenting. We do not, we, uh, we should, we should bring who we are in Christ to our parenting, not derive from our parenting who we are. 
2 Corinthians 5.10, we'll stand and give an account someday before the Lord. But watch this, parents. You will not be judged. You will not give an account for your children's behavior. You will give an account for your behavior to your children. Now, that does not mean we have a lenient approach where we say, well, just whatever kids want to do. That's totally wrong because that's not loving children God's way. But we get focused on results. And we, and we think this. I've been guilty of this. I've thought this. If I do this, this, and this, then I'll get this. Right? Uh, we, we tend to, I mean, we think that way in a lot of realms of life. If I do this, I get this. Well, in parenting, you've got to rem- remember and realize that your kids are free moral agents. Which is another way of saying they make up their own minds. They have a choice. They have a free will. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to, using the acronym GUIDE, it really is helpful. We're supposed to give. We're, we're supposed to be understanding. We're supposed to provide insight or instruction. We're supposed to discipline and love. And we're supposed to encourage. And we're supposed to supplicate and pray. And we're to do that unconditionally. We're to do that uh, just consistently. And that provides the right kind of environment where if a child, a young man or young woman wants to walk in the way of wisdom, then there's a perfect environment for them to do so. But doing all those things do not guarantee that a child will go in that direction. Uh, this was really helpful. This was a, a Bible study that I looked at here. Four scenarios presented in the Bible about parents and children. Four scenarios. You know, sometimes kids turn out like their parents just because that's the environment they live in. Um, all, four of my, all three of my sons are... St. Louis Cardinal fans. They really had no choice. No, they did. They do. Um, But that influence is certainly there. But then also there can be this, there can be a compensation. There can be, well, my dad was like this or my mom was like this. I'm not going to be that way. It's compensation. They were yelling. They were yellers. I'm not going to be a yeller. Well, Oftentimes, that sometimes comes out that way, doesn't it? So that does show the power of influence. But four scenarios here. I want you to get this. In the Bible, there are bad parents with bad kids. That's for sure. Bad parents, bad kids. How about this example? Ahab and Jezebel and Ahaziah. Bad parent, bad kid. It's there. Herodias and her daughter. Bad parent, bad kid. That is definitely in the word. But you can also have this, and thank God for this, bad parents, good kids. Bad parents, but godly kids. How about this? Uh, Ahaz, bad parent. Hezekiah, good son. How about this? Ammon, Josiah. So thank God tonight that just because you had ungodly parents, that does not define who you are. You can be the one by God's good grace and the help of the Holy Spirit to break that cycle. 
Bad parents, thank God. Good kids. Another scenario, there's only four scenarios that you find in the Bible. There's only four scenarios you find in life. All right, so we got bad parents, bad kids. Bad parents, good kids. Good parents, good kids. Good parents, good kids. Zacharias and Elizabeth, good parents. John the Baptist, good kid. Feels weird calling John the Baptist a kid, but anyways, you get what I'm saying. Good young man, good man. Good parents, good children. There we go. Um, how about Timothy? Both his grandmother and his mother were godly people, and he turned out that way. His dad, uh, you know, uh, was not as involved spiritually. So you can even have a mixed home where you have one parent that is godly, one that is not, and you can still turn out all right. There's hope. Good parents, good children. There's a couple dangers right there. One would be perfectionism. Because uh, you could say, man, my kid's not faithful in doing his devotions. Yeah, but wait a minute. Are they saved and are they trying to serve the Lord? Well, yes, they are, but they haven't read their Bible in the last week. Well, wait a minute. Hang on. Just, just give them some space to grow. Beware of perfectionism. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying they don't need to read their Bible. They need to read their Bible. But wait a minute. Don't don't get so fixated on the bad thing they're doing that you overlook that they're actually making an effort to try to serve the Lord. The other danger with that is that we can kind of get to thinking self-righteously and thinking, yeah, my kid turned out because I, oh, wait a minute. Uh, the the uh, Life's not over. Some kids go wrong in their teen years. Some adults go wrong in their 20s, some in their 30s, some way deep in life. So don't speak too soon. And certainly none of us can take credit for it. You say, well, it's because I homeschooled or it's because I sheltered them. No, my friend, listen, it's by the grace of God any of us turned out right. All right, so we got bad parents, bad kids, bad parents, good kids, good parents, good kids. And then you can have this, good parents and bad kids. Good parents and bad kids. I thought about Proverbs chapter one and verse number eight, where it says, my son, hear the instruction of thy father. So would you say that this father's making an effort to try to teach this son? Um, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Would you say that based on that, then the, the mother's trying to make an effort to teach his, teach her son. Or, or we could also say, I mean, it's, you know, it's Solomon speaking to Rehoboam, but you could also say, you know, a mother talking to a daughter. I mean, all it fits both ways. So evidently there's a good example that's going on and there's good instruction going on, but there's also the danger that he or she might forsake that. It is possible. I think about Samuel, first Samuel chapter eight and verse number three, you know, Samuel set his sons up as, as to follow him. And yet they were ungodly men. I think about Hezekiah and Manasseh. Hezekiah was overall a godly king and yet Manasseh was a wicked king. And so you can have a good parent and you can have ungodly kids. I mean, it's, it's possible here. How about this example? Uh, Luke chapter 15, Jesus gave the story of a, a good father and two bad sons. A good father and two bad sons. One son was so, so wicked, so sinful that, of course, as you know, the prodigal son took his, his inheritance and went and just wasted it on riotous living. But there was another son that was self-righteous and couldn't understand why dad was getting so excited about his son being home, his brother being home. And he was unforgiving. Here, here's the point. Here is Jesus commending the parenting style of this father. He evidently was a good father, and yet the two sons turned out to be ungodly. So 
All that to say this, parents, you can't control the outcome, but you can control your response. Okay, so number one, your role in the family is much more about your relationship with Christ than it is about the family, your relationships even within the family. Number two, make sure it's your identity in Christ that is defining you, not the performance of your kids, good or bad. Good or bad. And then I love, I, I loved, actually, I, I meant to finish this out about the prodigal son. Uh, he, the father created such an environment that when the son came to his right mind, he said, you know, my father's servants are treated a lot better than I am right now. It'd be better for me to go home. You know, if you've got a wayward son or your wayward daughter, guide. Give where you can. Not too much, but not too little. Try to be understanding. Try to instruct. Not too much, not too little. Discipline, depending on the situation in terms of if they're still in your home or not, but discipline. By the way, parents, you need to start early in discipline with your children. Encourage where you can. And then, obviously, one of the biggest ones, if you've got a child, a son or a daughter that's away from God, pray. Supplication. Number three. We need to show the members of our family unconditional love in the power of the Spirit. Unconditional love in the power of the Spirit. We can't say, I would love you unconditionally if you would just obey. (laughs) Yeah, it's unconditionally. Unconditional love. Um, We need to bear this in mind. You're responsible for your response. So important. We're responsible for our response. And thus, we never have liberty to become harsh or mean. But we can be firm and loving, but that's showing unconditional love. By the way, this was also helpful. This is another insight that I did gain from reading there. Unconditional love doesn't equal unconditional trust. Let me let that sink in here just a minute. Unconditional love doesn't mean unconditional trust. You have a parent that loves uh, their toddler unconditionally. They unconditionally love them, but that doesn't mean they unconditionally trust them near the road. Because that's dangerous. So, young people, if you've been dishonest, then don't be surprised that you've broken trust and it's going to take some time to rebuild that. That works also in a marriage as well. It takes a long time to build up trust takes just a second to lose it. So unconditional love is not the same as unconditional trust. But what we need to do is follow God's example. And it may be, it is challenging. In fact, it takes the work of the Holy Spirit, giving Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 and other passages that bear this out to show that unconditional love. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit To give when we don't want to give. To understand when we don't want to be understanding. To instruct even when it's rejected. To discipline even when it's despised. To encourage even when there's pushback. And to supplicate even when it doesn't seem like anything is getting done. John the Baptist would come on the scene. Realize this is not your typical Christmas message. Didn't create warm fuzzies of Christmas. I get that. understand that. But the whole reason why... 
we have the account of the birth of Christ is because our sinfulness is so great that we needed God's intervention in a very personal and a very powerful way. And when we respond right to God's intervention, it turns our hearts to God and then it turns our hearts towards the family and then it gets us out of the danger of disobedient living and brings us into the way of wisdom of the just so then we have a life that is honoring to God. And, and then the last part, the last part, if you just look back and we'll, we'll conclude with this. In the last part of verse number 17, it says to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow, what a great responsibility. We'll see people prepared to serve the Lord if we'll love God the way we're supposed to and then love them the way we're supposed to. Then they get prepared for the Lord and that cycle continues on where they're loving the Lord and trying to raise up another generation that'll do exactly the same. But maybe there's a people not prepared for the Lord because there's a breakdown somewhere. So let's make sure in, our, in each of our lives that we're, that we're doing what we ought to do here first because it's more about my relationship with Christ than it is about my relationship with others. And then I need to find my identity in Christ, not in the performance of how things are even going, but then to come back to a place where God, with your help, I want to love like you love unconditionally. And that will create the type of environment where you can't guarantee how somebody's going to respond to it. No guarantee on that. But it'd be the kind of, type of environment that they can. But then also, even most importantly, it's as unto the Lord that we do this. As to the Lord, because it is ultimately for the Lord. We need to be more mindful of Christ even than we are our children. And would He be pleased? With that response. Let's stand together here tonight. Father, I know that um, these verses here were greatly uh, helped just to think about and to process. And Lord, certainly when you work in our hearts, you do. You turn our hearts towards the home and you turn our hearts towards our church family too. But God, right here, we're certainly thinking about having the right relationships within the family. And so I pray that you'd help, Lord, any that maybe are on that crazy cycle, that God, you'd help them where there's a lack of respect or there's a lack of love, Lord, would you help, Lord, that there'd be the maturity and the work and the response to the Holy Spirit's work to show the kind of love or to show the kind of respect that is needed within the family, God. And, and I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we uh, draw close to you and then draw close to one another, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're singing page 484. Such a, a good song. Listen to the words of it. Pay attention as we sing. Living for Jesus. And maybe you ought, ought to come. And you know, these things, they take God's grace and His help. You ought to come on this first verse to receive that help from the Lord. As we sing, page 484, Living for Jesus.